RadioInfluence.com. Welcome back to the Lawfather podcast. Uh, we are here today at Lawfather headquarters as we get ready for another week of, of legal wrangling and getting into a little bit of sports here on the show. Before we get started, I ask you to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. It does help us out a lot. And if you can go to our social media, it is at the Lawfather. So please check us out there. We try to put some good content up there. Uh, we have Tip Tuesday, Fact Friday, and most Mondays we do uh, a Motivation Monday. So take a look at us there. Uh, check it out. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just search for the Lawfather. And as we got into last week, we talked about the Philly Fanatic and the craziness surrounding that lawsuit. And here we are. Baseball has started. Uh, baseball being the first of the four major sports in the U.S. to get back to playing regular season games. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and, and what happens there. So just want to take a look and stay in the baseball realm. Uh, this case that we're going to talk about today is a little bit of an old one. Popped up earlier this year, and then uh, A, it's not all that notable because it's, in my interpretation, a little bit ridiculous. But that said, uh, it happened pretty much just before coronavirus took hold and uh, a ridiculous lawsuit involving the Yankees and Derek Jeter really doesn't take precedence over the coronavirus, nor would I expect uh, a lawsuit such as this one that we're going to talk about to take precedence over much. But it is pretty interesting, and it goes to something that I've talked about before, is when you have a contract and pretty much anything in daily life that you can sue or be sued for pretty much anything. And I would say that this one falls into that category. So the Yankees drafted a minor league player and, and how it works. And just to take a step back, most of you know, uh, I am currently a certified NFL agent. Uh, previously, before that, I started the sports agency as a baseball agency, uh, focusing primarily on the MLB draft. Uh, and then the opportunity came up to dive into football. So uh, we transitioned from baseball into football. So pretty familiar with the way the draft works, the minor league system works, all of that. And so when you get drafted, you start at a minor league affiliate. So these places, these minor league teams are not owned by the major league clubs. They're owned by different individuals. And there's a contract between the club, the minor league club and the major league club for services to be performed. And um, most of the Florida Teams have uh, major league spring training as well. So there's a, a big, big percentage of those that there are uh, most of the lower level teams, your A ball. So if you look at it on the spectrum of lowest to highest, major leagues being the highest, and then you have rookie ball, low A ball, high A, double A, triple A. So that's how the minor league system works. And when you get drafted, you get assigned to one of those A-level clubs. The college guys, a lot of times, will go high A or double A, depending on where they're drafted. High school guys that are drafted generally will stay in low A. And then you have some of the international guys. Um, so a lot of the guys from Latin America, the Dominican um, 
Puerto Rico, even though Puerto Rico is part of the U.S., a lot of those guys um, come in a little bit younger and end up playing in, in the low A range in the beginning. So basically your low A is a lot of the younger guys. Some guys will come down and rehab there or, or myriad of different reasons why. But as a general rule, the college guys end up generally high A or double A and your younger guys low A. Now it all depends on team needs. Uh, I've had guys who were pitchers and low A had more team needs at pitcher than high A did. So guys were shuffled around. So, but that's how that works. Okay. Is you get drafted, you sign a contract and you get assigned to one of these minor league teams. Well, that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about a guy who was drafted by the Yankees and he was a shortstop. Now, those of you who even follow just a tiny bit of baseball and even potentially live in the Tampa area, you may be familiar with this name, Derek Jeter. Okay. Uh, and those of you who are not familiar with Tampa, the Yankees have their spring training here in Tampa and their high A affiliate is based out of Tampa as well. Okay. Right across from Raymond James stadium where the Buccaneers play is George Steinbrenner field where the Yankees minor league takes place. Okay. And they have a, a big complex across the street from that as well. So big stadium and then big minor league complex low a, I believe uses the complex across the street, which is basically a series of fields. And then they have a stadium for the high a club across the street. And like I said, that's where the major league team conducts their spring training as well. And so, like I said, you may have heard this name before Derek Jeter. Okay. Uh, Tom Brady's renting Derek Jeter's house here in Tampa on Davis Island. Uh, Derek Jeter probably has the most recognizable house here in Tampa. It encompasses many lots and is right on the water. Okay. But before all of that, and you know, he also has a, a big ownership interest in the Miami Marlins, but before all of that, he played a little bit of baseball, uh, by a little bit. I mean, he was a, uh, 14 time all-star, uh, first ballot hall of famer. Okay. This guy was, the epitome of what it meant to be a Yankee and no one was going to displace him at shortstop. No way, no way possible. Okay. I mean, this guy was the best in the business for many, many years. I mean, 14 time all-star that's huge. There's not a lot of 14 time all-stars out there. Uh, there's not a lot of guys whose careers span 14 years, let alone be an all-star for 14 years. So that's the caliber of player that we're talking about. So in case you're not familiar uh, with who Derek Jeter is and you know, not all that familiar with baseball, but really uh, interested in the legal side of it. It's an important thing to look at and understand as we're going to look at this case and what it looks like. So the fact that Derek Jeter was not only the best on the Yankees, but Derek Jeter was the best in the game. And that's really, really important as we look at this from the legal side. So the Yankees minor leaguer gets drafted, gets assigned to high A ball, plays a grand total of 235 games as our professional baseball player. Okay, now we're talking about the uh, gentleman who's initiated the lawsuit. I believe his last name is Lassiter. Okay, so Lassiter uh, initiates this lawsuit, plays 235 games with the Yankees. That's roughly uh, depending on when he got drafted and where he was assigned and everything else should be about two and a half years worth. Okay. So not really a long time. Uh, if you look at what those contracts are, they're seven year contracts and they, the players spend a majority of those contracts with the minor league affiliate. So, you know, you're generally looking anywhere from five to seven years from being drafted to when a guy makes it to the big league club. 
So it, their good percentage of time is spent in the minor leagues. And uh, he spent roughly, I would say, two and a half years looking at the amount of games that he played. Let's look at his career statistics real quick because that's going to be important as well. Played high A ball. Highest level he got to is high A. So remember, you have low A, high A, double A, triple A, Major League Baseball. Okay, so that's that's where he spent. So just a step up from the lowest level. And he batted 244 was his batting average. He hit four home runs, 73 RBIs. Not really big numbers. Okay. Uh, played shortstop. And what happened is the Yankees moved him because, well, the Yankees had a shortstop. They didn't need another shortstop. They didn't need to groom somebody for the future. Okay. Uh, let's say Derek Jeter got hurt and was going to be out for an extended period of time or even just a couple of games. If the Yankees didn't have somebody on their bench, let's say, that could fill in and play shortstop, they'd go either to AAA or more likely AA. Uh, that's where when it comes to hitters, you generally see the biggest jump is from AA to the big leagues. So let's say Jeter goes down, pulls a hamstring, he's out six weeks, and the Yankees don't feel like they have a good replacement on their bench. They have at the time, okay, this has changed a little bit coming into 2020, but what's called a 40-man roster, and those guys generally played minor league ball, and but they were on a major league roster. There's a lot of legal significance of that and a lot of reasoning for that, some of it coming down to collective bargaining agreement and union and that type of thing, but beyond what we're going to talk about here today. So they'd pull somebody, probably, like I said, on that 40-man roster who was most likely in AA to fill that spot. So they likely... This Lassiter guy probably had somebody ahead of him, okay? If something were to ever happen to Jeter, say he just randomly retired one day, okay? Lassiter's not going to be your next stop. Your next stop is going to most likely be your double-A shortstop. So not only did he have to overcome the fact that one of the greatest shortstops to ever play the game was playing at the big league level, but there was likely somebody ahead of him in the minor league system. But be that as it may, okay, this guy... He went and he filed a lawsuit. Now, he did it without an attorney, so he did it what's called pro se, and it's a Latin term, and quite frankly, not really even sure what the Latin term translates to. All I know is it means you don't have an attorney and you're representing yourself. And you know, I've had cases that I've had pro se defendants, and it's brutal. I would rather have the most difficult-to-work-with attorney on the other side than to have a pro se defendant. Okay, it's just you get these really weird results. You get these really weird motions filed, these really interesting responses. And sometimes you scratch your head and you go, how do I respond to it? It just doesn't make any sense. At least uh, when, you, when there's an attorney on the other side, there's at least some legal rationale behind it. And really, when we're looking at how do we respond to things, we need to look at it from a legal rationale. And when it lacks legal rationale, which is different from real world rationale. OK, I'll give you that one. That, that there is a difference between the two, it does make it difficult to respond. But the lawsuit involved tortious interference uh, of an advantageous business relationship, breach of contract, and defamation. So let's look at those real briefly to understand what that looks like. So tortious interference, that's saying that, hey, I have a contract with somebody and somebody else has come in and they have done something to interrupt that contract. That I'm making money from that person because we have a business relationship with each other. I sell widgets to this person and this person buys widgets from me and somebody else comes in and says, I'll give you those same widgets for cheaper, even though you have a contract with company number one. 
Okay, that's how that looks. That's how that comes into play. That would be tortious interference with an advantageous business relationship. Okay, so how does that play out in this scenario? You know, maybe in terms of that, hey, the Yankees moved him positioning wise, right? Made him a second baseman instead of a shortstop. Shortstop's a difficult position. You have a lot of ground to cover. You have to have a strong arm and you have to have quick hands. Okay. And if you can hit for a little bit of power, even better. Okay. Um, not looking to have, you know, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa type numbers uh, in terms of power, but you need to, uh, need to have a little bit, right? Not, not a huge requirement, but it's got to be there some. And, and four home runs in 235 games, definitely not there. Now, you know, we look at then breach of contract. What is breach of contract? Well, all of these players sign contracts with the major league clubs. Okay, then, like I said, they get assigned to uh, one of the affiliate clubs. And that contract just basically says, you know, a lot of it's on the player. Hey, player, you'll maintain, keep yourself in good shape. And you will, you basically certify that you have this, this skill to play the game and that the club can terminate your contract if in turn you lack the skill that is necessary to play the game. Now, look, you know, there's a lot of legal language in those contracts in terms of that. But those of us who follow the game and have watched games and have been around the game, any sport, really, you know, if you don't perform, you don't play. Right. And that doesn't exist just in the professional level, high school level, college level, uh, maybe even before that. I mean, in the, the lower levels of Little League, you don't necessarily have that concept. But once you get in the high school, if you're not good enough, you don't play. Um, so irregardless of what the contract says and the contracts say, if you don't have the skill, you don't have a home. Right. You don't have a contract anymore because we have the ability to terminate your contract. So that's where the breach of contract comes in. Right. Hey, the and I would imagine this is where his thought process was. Well, the Yankees terminated my contract and they didn't really give me a fair shot. So I'm, I'm going to say that they breached their contract in this. OK, now the last piece is defamation. And that's saying that, hey, you spoke poorly about me. OK, you published. OK, the, the legal term for it is that you published a lie. OK, so in this instance, the Yankees are saying, hey, you're not good enough to play at this position. Okay, you're not good enough to replace Derek Jeter. Now, do they come out and say that explicitly? I can't imagine a conversation that comes up between a manager at any level and a player that says, you're not better than Derek Jeter, unless it's you know, kind of free-flowing in that conversation where the player is saying, hey, I'm better than that guy. I'm better than that big league guy. And and you know, in this case, I would imagine a manager would just kind of laugh it off and say, no, you're not. So um, but that's where that would come up. And, you know, the defense for defamation is an absolute defense when you talk about defamation, defamation is if it's true. So if what you said is true, it's not defamation. And if what you're saying is that this player lacks the requisite skill to play this position and it's true. Well, it's not defamation. And we're talking about something that is highly subjective. OK, um, baseball scouting, having talked to several scouts in the past and you know, having played the game in college, 
know a little bit about what goes into the scouting process and what coaches look for and scouts look for and everything else. And it's so highly subjective, subjective. And it's, you know, that guy looks good. Okay. And not, not in terms of how they're dressed looks good. Okay. But Hey, he's fluid. He's smooth. Uh, it's effortless. Okay. How do you make those objective? You really can't. Okay. It's not like football where, you know, these guys get out and run combine style drills. Yes. During college pro days, there are some objective testing that comes into play. There's not a lot of weight put on it. It's can you hit the ball? Can you field? How do you move? Okay. Um, do you have quick hands and, and are they soft and, and just a lot of things that you can't put a, that's exactly what this is. And every single time that it's very, very objective, it's just not. Okay. And that's the problem when you come into an issue like this. So, you know, in the Yankees defense, it would be, Hey, this isn't tortious interference because this guy is, you know, He's just better than you. You haven't performed and we're not interfering with our contract with you by moving your position. It's just not, um, you know, there were coaches that said his feet weren't quick enough to play shortstop. Okay. Maybe they were in college. And I can tell you going from high school to college, the game's a lot different. It's a lot quicker. The guys are a lot faster and they hit the ball a lot harder. Okay. And from having been around, you know, several of my friends who have played pro ball, having been to a lot of pro ball and having played in college, I can tell you there is another big jump from college to professional. So could you be good enough in college? Yeah. Could your feet be quick enough for the college game? Yes, they could. Could they be too slow for the professional game? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what's happening here. Um, and what was alleged was that the Yankees took these actions in an effort to protect the career of Derek Jeter. Well, I don't think the Yankees needed to do anything to protect his career. I think he pretty much solidified that not only he was one of the best Yankees to ever wear the uniform. And look, this is coming from a Red Sox fan. So, you know, to talk about the Yankees pains me just a tiny, tiny bit. Okay. But that said, probably the best player to ever wear pinstripes. And most likely you can make the argument best shortstop to ever play the game. Okay. So that said, not really sure a lot of this holds any water. Okay. And quite frankly, the judge agreed that this doesn't hold any water and dismissed the case against the Yankees. So he wasn't done there though. And this guy goes and he sues the Cincinnati Reds. Why? Well, because the Cincinnati Reds limit their tryouts to 16 to 22 year olds. Okay. And he was older than 22 at the time that he explored this option and essentially saying that it was discriminatory. Okay. You know, maybe on some levels, but when you look at a tryout and you're looking at the structure of the, of the professional system, the professional baseball system, that is, it is geared towards younger players. It really is because you have that long amount of time in the minor league system and that development that you work through during those, you know, five to seven years. So if you have somebody that starts out in that system at 30 years old, they're not reaching the big leagues until 35. You're really on the other side of, of things, right? You're really on the other side of that prime of your career, if you will. So, um, that, that reds litigation, haven't seen any, any kind of formal resolution to it. Once again, I don't think it holds any water. 
the Reds can essentially do what they want. The teams can do what they want with tryouts. And look, the reality is, if you're good enough, you're going to play, right? These teams aren't doing anything despite anybody, okay? If you're good enough, you're going to play. Uh, just think about this for a second, and we'll look at football real quickly. Uh, Antonio Brown, uh, there's been a lot of negatives that have come up over time off the field, okay? One of the best receivers in the game. He gets a chance every time a chance is out there. Why? Because he's good enough to play, and it's worth the potential hassles that can come along with that. So that being said, if you're good enough, you're going to play. And I think when when you look at all of these from the legal analysis side of it, your defense is, hey, it's Derek Jeter, and this is one of the best guys to ever play the game. So we didn't breach our contract by releasing you because you weren't good enough, right? Our contract says that you have to be good enough and that you have to maintain that skill level. And if you don't, you're gone, right? They, they didn't interfere. They didn't tortuously interfere with the contract by moving him to a new position. If anything, it was an opportunity. It was the exact opposite. It was the opportunity to, hey, you're not good enough for shortstop, but maybe you can find a home at second base. And maybe it's not with us. And this happens all the time. Maybe it's not with our club, but maybe somebody else picks you up. It happens a lot. Right. These minor leaguers come through and it's you don't see and I don't know what the actual numbers are, but you don't see 100 percent of the guys who are drafted and go through the minor league system with one team make it to the major leagues with that same team. There is a lot of times where minor leaguers come up through one system and then make the big league club in a whole nother team. So that's what that looks like. Uh, just kind of wrapping that up, this individual did file an additional lawsuit against a training facility for not preparing him well enough for the NFL. I kid you not, that was the third lawsuit that had been filed. Uh, it was There was a professional, a former NFL guy who has a training facility, and according to this last year guy, they didn't prepare him well enough for an NFL tryout. Not really sure he had an NFL tryout. Not really sure what would have taken to get him prepared. Um, look, most shortstops or second basemen aren't built to play in the NFL. It's just not reality. Uh, you know, use Derek Jeter as the example since we've been talking about him uh, pretty much at length. Uh, I believe he's like 6'2", 6'3", maybe 6'4". Um, so he's tall, but... Not really built like a football player, okay? You wouldn't necessarily want to see him out there on Sunday catching passes over the middle or at linebacker trying to fight through and, and get the guy in the backfield. You know, he just not built like that. And, uh, you know, if you take a go back even a little bit further back in time, look at Cal Ripken. Same thing. Cal Ripken, I think, was 6'5", 6'6". He was really tall, but wasn't built like a football player. So not really sure that this second baseman slash shortstop was – going to make it in the NFL in any way, shape, or form. Uh, second basemen are usually smaller than shortstops. So if shortstops generally aren't built to play uh, in the NFL, then I can't imagine a second baseman would either. Um, I, I could think of more candidates at first base if we're looking at who would, who would make a good football player on a baseball team. So that said, that is the craziness of the Yankees and Derek Jeter lawsuit. Uh, luckily for the Yankees, it went away and hopefully it didn't cost them a whole lot to defend that. But 
that is gone. I think the Reds and the NFL piece is still outstanding. Uh, so we'll take a look at that. I'll, I'll see uh, what additional resolutions I can find as time goes on on that. Let's switch gears here a little bit and let's look at a listener question that we received. I came in over the phone here over this past week. So it's uh, kind of an interesting one. And yes, we talk a lot about sports, but we are a personal injury firm here. And you know, a lot of times the questions that I get re- revolve around personal injury. And the question that came in was this, I want to fire my attorney. What can I do? How do I do it? I'm just not happy with the way my case is going. Okay. And I get some form of that question, uh, usually about once a week. Okay. And sometimes it makes sense to switch attorneys and sometimes it doesn't. And here's the analysis on it. And here's, here's kind of the biggest piece to this is anytime you fire an attorney to take a step back, the Florida bar on a contingency fee contract. And I don't know any personal injury lawyer out there that is not doing these cases on a contingency fee contract. Everybody that I know does them on a contingency fee, meaning that whatever the settlement is, some percentage goes to the attorney and the rest goes to medical bills and to the client. Okay. Uh, the client pays nothing up front. That's what a contingency fee looks like. And if the case isn't successful, then the attorney makes nothing. Okay. So that's what a contingency fee is. And the Florida bar says, Hey client, you can fire your attorney who has a contingency fee at any time. Okay. First three days, the attorney can't file what's called a lien. Okay. After those three days, the attorney can assert an attorney's lien. And what that is, is it says, Hey, any amount of time that you spent on that file, working with that client, you can recoup your fee from. And what that is, is so You know, if we look at an hourly billing, say $300 an hour times however many hours that attorney spent on that file, okay, that attorney can say, I'm owed that money back. And that comes from the client. And so that's really the one of the most important things we want to look at when we're talking to a client about whether or not they can or even should fire their attorney. So the easy answer is, can you? Yes, you can. Okay. Should you? That requires a whole different analysis, and that's where this attorney lien comes into play. Because if you have a case that is really far on down the line and it's really close to resolution, that attorney spent lots and lots of time on that. You, as the client, could be at a disadvantage because you're going to owe that attorney that money that that they're asserting as their lien, and it doesn't come from the second attorney. Okay. It comes actually from the client. Client has to pay that on. Now it comes out of their settlement. Okay. So if the client would have walked away with $10,000, let's say after paying their second attorney and their medical bills, now they're walking away, say the attorney lien was $2,000. Now instead of walking away with $10,000, they're walking away with $8,000. That can become a big thing. Um, you know, so there's a lot of different factors. I encourage you to have a very frank conversation with the attorney that you're looking to hire if, in fact, you do want to fire your first attorney, that, hey, maybe it's a good fit, maybe it's not a good fit. So that said, ask the questions, okay? Speak to the attorney. And look, if you have any questions and you want to talk to me about it, 855-LAWFATHER, I'll tell you the good, the bad, the ugly on it all day, every day. I, I don't try to hide anything. And I think it's important that you're aware of what your rights are and what you could potentially be giving up. Okay. Um, and just kind of going from there. So, but it is important to have a good fit 
with your lawyer. And I think that that goes both ways. I think that that attorney client relationship really has to be positive for both sides. And if it's not positive for both sides, then maybe it is time to move on. Okay. But that said, you know, there's a lot of considerations. And if you ever have any questions on it, 855 Lawfather, you can call or text that number and more than happy to discuss pros and cons and put all the cards on the table for you. That's what we do with everything. Okay. When it comes time to resolve a case, we're going to tell you the good, the bad, the ugly. Here's your risk. Here's the potential reward with it. And here's all the cards laid out and you pick which ones you want. At the end of the day, it's always the client's decision. And when you fire an attorney, it comes down to the same thing. It's always the client's decision. That said, that is the show for today. So we got into some baseball today. We got into some listener questions. Um, you know, feel free, reach out to me, 855-LAWFATHER. Lawfather at TampaLawfather.com. That is the email address for this show. So if you have a question, please reach out to me. Ask that question. I'll read it live on air, just like I do whenever we do listener questions. And we look forward to a good baseball season this year and hopefully no more crazy lawsuits involving Derek Jeter and the New York Yankees. As always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Follow us on social media. Search for Lawfather. From Lawfather headquarters, Lawfather out. This is an Ian Beckles flavor in your ear quick fix on Radio Influence. Our world is becoming so weird. Like, for instance, we had the people here from Franklin Manor that had his view on Black Lives Matter. Next, you know, people are picketing outside his restaurant and next, you know, his restaurant's closed. The president is the only one that's still allowed to really bash Black Lives Matter. He, He bashes it. Amazing. He doesn't believe he doesn't believe in it. Now, if you don't believe in it, that's that's fine. Uh, but I'll be darned. It's 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 started off as a peaceful movement. Okay, stop lumping extremes. That's our problem. And you know, Trump clearly lives in an alternative universe where he can't tell the truth. Like I think if he tells the truth, he thinks he's going to turn into something. Um, when he says stuff like "war war is beautiful," we had a beautiful war. Who says that? How is war beautiful when you lose thousands and millions? How is that? How is that beautiful? And he just newly flipped the script. Um, <laughs> he he didn't. He never wore a mask until last week. Okay, he had never said social distancing until Tuesday. Well, unfortunately, uh, Mr. Trump, you're you're three months late. Okay, you're three months late. Three months ago, you should have been saying. Wear a mask. Three months ago, you should have been saying social distancing. You're th- three months later. Now you're saying that wearing a mask is patriotic when you haven't been wearing a mask the whole time, and you bashed Joe Biden for wearing a mask, called him pussy, pretty much. And now you're now now you're telling people in the country that it's important to wear a mask after three four months of not giving a shit. This is not good. You can find Ian Beckles' Flavor in Your Ear on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com. 